The internet is an angry place. How about that as a way to start a podcast? It's one of the sadder commentaries about the internet period in church history to see how it has become a context to put our sinful hearts on full display before the world. Now, revealing my wicked heart is nothing new, especially to those who know me well. I have done it many times, and I'm not bragging. I'm just making, I'm just stating the obvious here, which you probably have already discerned. But it is new to have a new place to display it. And we are really at the emphasy of the internet age, the cyberspace age. The internet is that place, it's that space for too many people or too many of us to actually lower the gate and march our word, words out before the world, a world that is really keen. They're looking for ways, they're looking for opportunities to remind us why Christianity is a farce. Because cyberspace seems worlds away, we can begin to think that what we do there has little impact. This is called the disinhibition effect. The disinhibition effect means that we're not inhibited about saying and doing whatever it is that we want to say and do on the Internet. Because we're some distance away, it is far different from being right in front of someone where we would be a little more calibrated, a little more cautious about speaking our minds. But that is the disinhibition effect. We are just not inhibited, and because of the disinhibition delusion, it makes the Internet and cyberspace and social media platforms all the more dangerous. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I have been doing a series on anger over the past several months. And if you want to read all of my articles on anger, I have a bunch of them. You can read the articles, you can watch, you can listen, read, watch, and listen. That is the formula. And so you choose which one that you prefer. And then also, if you would share our content with your friends, I would really appreciate that. The title of this podcast, the article that I have here, as well as the video that I'm producing, this resource is called the Internet is the new frontier for angry people to hang out. And the way that I want to get into this is to remind us of a passage of Scripture that you're very, probably very familiar with, and that is uh, the first chapter of, or the first paragraph of James chapter 4. Now, there's 10 verses there, but I just want to share two, and again, I trust these are familiar with you. If they are not, I would exhort you to read the 10 verses of James chapter 4 and just do a deep dive study into all things anger because he has some tremendous insight there. And so in four one, he begins this way by asking, what is the source of our sinful anger? And he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? And then James goes on in the next sentence, by answering the very question that he just asked, he says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? He goes on to say, you desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And so he's asking a source question, a causal question, where is the genesis? What is the genesis of your anger? And then he answers it in a redundant fashion by saying the same thing three different ways. What he's saying is, is we have idols in our heart, which is what all three of these words mean. He says, your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have. You covet covet and cannot obtain. 
The word passion and desire and covet in this passage means idolatry. And so he's answering the question, this is the cause of sinful anger. And it's important that we understand that. Now, what James is doing is that he is differentiating, he's given us a dichotomy that differentiates between what we hear, what comes out of people's mouths, angry words, versus the source of those words. And so he's making that distinction so that we understand. To paraphrase James's answer or question and answer in James 4, he says this, the internet is not the cause of our sinful anger, but merely the stage upon which we can let others know the latest ruminations in our hearts. And so like real life, internet communicators do not hide the ball. What you see is a commentary on who they are. And so that's important. We don't have to be dumbfounded about who a person is. We can just listen to their words or read them written out in cyberspace. And so the cyber world, when I first entered into it big time, was in 2008, and it was a surprise to me because that's when I started blogging. Not being an avid internet participant or a troller or a commenter, I had no preparation for what I experienced when I entered the blogosphere a number of years ago. The most alarming thing was what our speech communicated about our hearts. I knew this idea conceptually that the words come out of our hearts, but seeing it in a different space, in a different context, this command center in our hearts, it determines what we do. And when I saw what people were saying and doing, it just made it all the more vital that I understand, that I guard my heart about how I communicate. Jesus said it this way in Luke 6 when he talked about this dichotomy of what James was saying in James 4. The cause comes from our heart, and so what comes off of our lips comes out of our hearts. Jesus said the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, and then he gives us his his signature punchline, for out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. Of course, everything on the internet is not bad, and so I don't want to paint a completely dark picture because there are many bright spots in this dark cloud of cyberspace communication. Not every website, not every blogger, not every viewer or reader caves in to unwholesome speech. And one of those places where you will see a bright spot as far as communication is concerned is our website. I wish all of you would just take the time and and jump on our forums and and interact with us on our forums, and you will see that to be true. People have commented about this for years and years and years. This is a civil place where people can come and communicate and can disagree with each other, and that's the beauty of it. God has given us a gift of a civil community where people can talk, where people can disagree without attacking each other ad hominem. Now, what I mean by ad hominem is that you not only attack the ideas, but you attack the person too, and we don't want to be attacking people. Disagreeing is fine, 
But when you start attacking people, then it's not fine at all. Occasionally, we will get that angry person who lives in angry mode. They are ready to say something unkind. They're ready to make uncharitable judgments, putting us in our place. And we just remind them that we do not do that here. We do not permit a sinful communication style in our community, which is usually enough to convince most people that you're going to have to conform to Christian charity if you want to stay in this community. If they persist, and some have, then it leaves us no choice but to remove them from our social media platforms or we have removed a couple of people from our forums in the more than a decade that they've been there, which really speaks wonderfully well to the kind of people who come and the civility in which they communicate. And we communicate to them in the same kind of civility. Anybody who blogs with many readers will have to decide how to interact with those angry souls who do not care who's watching, they do not care who is reading. And so I'm not saying that our way is the way. And I know that our way is different, actually, uh, because I hear about it. And of course, I go on these like Facebook groups, for example, and I see uh, the the caustic way that people, some people communicate with each other. I know that our place is different, and some people just assume because they can talk this way in other places that they can come to our place and communicate that way too, and you can't. It's just, it's just absolutely not permitted. But in this article and podcast that I'm doing here, the people that I'm actually addressing are Christians, not unbelievers. And the reason I'm doing that is because Christians have the power to actually change. Uh, we can repent. We can alter our behavior through repentance. We do not have to act like our worldly counterparts. And so a rule of thumb for me is to treat the internet like a, a church meeting on Sunday morning where a speaker is communicating to a broad audience. And in that context, I want you to think about that context, the audience does not stand up in the middle of the room and voice an opposing opinion, at least not at that time and in that context. Imagine going to your Sunday church meeting uh, on Sunday morning, and someone stood and expressed an angry perspective about what they were hearing from the pulpit. Well, it would be rude, it would be distracting, it would be unkind, it would be unwise, if someone happened to disagree, which is fine, I am not saying that disagreement is wrong. Disagreement can be very healthy. But if someone disagreed with the speaker, there is a better way to let him know. And you would do that privately. In most cases, you can rectify a situation or reconcile a relationship by doing it privately. And rarely does it have to get outside the banks into a more communal setting where, quite frankly, it's just not the business of the overwhelming majority of people. And that's why beginning privately should be a biblical expectation and it should be our normal way of working through differing opinions. I do not expect everyone to agree with me, and we do not teach a you-must-agree-with-us worldview in this ministry. What we're doing with our ministry, it's not about winning unanimous approval from our fan base. That would be, that would be a fool's errand. 
And because we traffic in the practical application of God's Word, there is already a built-in expectation that some folks will have other perspectives, and that is fantastic. When someone disagrees, we want them to do so in a private setting first. It is a respectful thing to do. Conceptually, what I'm talking about here is Matthew 18, the principles that you see in verses 15, 16, and 17 of chapter 18 of Matthew's book. It says this, if your brother offends you, go and tell him his fault. That is first beginning in a private way. And this process is much different from blaring your alternate opinion in a public square. Because the goal should be about reconciling, our methodology should begin on an intimate level before it becomes a public matter. And Matthew provides us with a wise way to disagree on secondary issues, assuming that reconciliation is the goal. Sadly, too much talk on the internet is about galvanizing the fan base while alienating the other team. And so we're preaching to the choir, and our team is all rah-rah, and we are galvanized, but the way that we communicate, it alienates the other team, when in actuality, what we should be doing is trying to reconcile without compromising biblical truth. Of course, if your disagreement with someone is on a primary issue, like the gospel, then public discretion is not your highest aim in that case. In those cases, people need a warning when an enemy of the gospel maligns the gospel. But even so, there are Christ-like ways to engage the enemies of the gospel, For example, there are several helpful discernment sites to assist us with heretics, and I have read many of them over the years just to gain a perspective on what the Bible teaches about an issue which has helped me to learn how to communicate intellectually, theologically, but not emotionally or in an aggravational kind of way. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. A number of years ago, a lady commented on our Facebook page regarding my position on 1 John 1, 9, where John says, if you confess your sins, uh, Christ, God is faithful to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. She believes that Christians are once and for all forgiven, and the church has misunderstood John's teaching in his first letter. She believes a Christian should not have to ask for forgiveness ever again once they become saved. I disagreed with her position, and I chose to delete the comment to steer away from a public spat, which is what it was leading into. And then I sent her an email explaining why I did it in this instance, and I told her that she was welcome to disagree with me anytime. That's not the issue that I'm, that's not the point that I'm making here. I am okay with views that are different from mine. I mean, you can't, I mean, how can you live? How can you live with a spouse and have different views? How can you live with children? How can children live with parents? How can you live in any relational context and and not have different views? That's not the issue at all. But our social media sites are not places for Christians to argue and debate. It has been that way forever, and by the grace of God, it will continue to be that way. If you disagree with a public statement that someone from our team makes, write us and tell us about it. 
There were three reasons that I responded this way to this lady. One, while I disagree with her theology, at least on this one point, she is my sister, and I'm not going to have a public argument with her. She is my sister. Number two, I am soberly aware that many non-Christians are looking through our communal cyber window. They are watching and learning how we Christians talk to each other. We are to honor God with our speech. I've had more than one person come to us, come to this ministry and say, I know your position on X, Y, and Z. In fact, one person said that. He said that I know that your position on uh, the gay lifestyle, that you believe it's a sin, but I believe I can talk to you. That is one of the most important comments that I've ever received in all the years that I've been doing this ministry. I believe that the gay lifestyle is a sin, but I I, I do, but he also knows that he can talk to me because I'm not going to beat him up over it. But we have a lot of people who come to our social media platforms like Facebook, for example, and they're either unbelievers or they're burnt out Christians, just worn out because they've been hurt by the church or by other Christians or however that has happened to them. And they come in, they can come in cynically, they can come in vulnerable, and when they walk into our space and we're just spatting, debating, and attacking each other, that is not that is not the message of Christ that we're going to communicate on our website or our social media platforms. And then number three, I'm a, I'm a busy person. I, I am a busy, busy person, and I do not have discretionary time or the yearning desire to debate anyone. And I don't. I don't debate anyone. I won't debate you. I won't. I don't. And it's just not going to happen. Interacting with social media debaters is not a wise way for me to steward the time that God has given to me. And so I just don't do it. I don't engage. Uh, I will engage someone in real time and space because I'm building a relationship with them. But I'm not building a relationship with anybody on social media the way that I build in my own community. And so I don't waste my time trying to convince people of whatever it is the argument is about. And so I shared those things with her as far as I know that we're still friends today. As far as I know, we still aren't in agreement on this theological point that she was trying to make. There was a day when the debate stage was for those with the academic requirements, the mental acumen, the practical experience, and the God-given skill set to stand on that debate stage. Uh, you could not voice your opinion back when I was a child unless you in a miraculous way, got yourself in the newspaper, which was really hard to do. There was a process to do it, and so there was a tighter filter for getting on the debate stage. But then the Internet age came, and it gave us a cyber debate stage that anyone can access freely and sadly, too many Christians are not writers, they are not public speakers, they don't have the theological depth or the ability to communicate in a debate format. And they also don't have the social awareness or even the concern about how they present themselves to the world. With this new public access to a different kind of stage, some folks do not know how to use it redemptively, choosing to use it as a place to vent, to gossip, to slander, to argue. 
Some of the ways that we communicate with each other, they do not honor God, and they do not show off the beauty of the body of Christ. It also sends the wrong message to those who do not know our Jesus. There is a better way for us to do this, to talk to each other in cyberspace. There have been many, there have been too many times when I was that impulsive keyboard warrior, and I, I, can, I think about it and I just sigh. To, fair, to paraphrase our brother James with the verse that I read earlier, or actually to paraphrase James, I think it's 119, it's another verse, be slow on the keyboard and quick to pray. That's a paraphrase, I think, of like James 119. I do hope the Lord will use this short list of six helpful tips that I'm about to give you to spur you on to love God well, to love others well, and to spur them on to good works, especially when we're talking about cyberspace and how we deport ourselves in that space. Uh, the title of this podcast is The Internet is the New Frontier for Angry People to Hang Out. And I want to wrap up by giving you six quick tips to think about when it comes to engaging other people on the Internet. They're not necessarily in the order of priority, but all of them are important. The first one is, you are my brother or you are my sister. If you are a brother or sister in Christ, then we must talk like brothers and sisters in Christ. The Spirit of God is in me. The Spirit of God is in you. Christ died for us. We are the Father's children. If I walked into your home and I began to say unkind things to your child, you would be offended, I hope. I hope you would be offended. Unsavory speech should not be our usual way of speaking with each other, speaking to and about the Father's children. When we say harsh things to or about God's children, we insult the Almighty. We do not honor that home of that father or that mother. If we must disagree, we should not cop an ungodly attitude toward each other. Six tips about communication in cyberspace. Number one, you are my brother or you are my sister. Number two, ask questions first. It is impossible to say everything that needs to be communicated in a blog article regardless of its length. Most of the articles that we produce through our ministry are just over 2,000 words in length. A book can be 40,000 words or a whole lot more. But even that, there's no way a person will su sufficiently cover a topic that meets all expectations in a brief amount of space, whether it's a blog article or a book. My appeal is to give your brother or your sister grace, which you can do by asking a question before making a statement. We could avoid so much tension if a person asks a question to gain clarification rather than make an assumptive statement. Number one, you are my brother. Number two, ask questions first. Six tips. Number three, trust neither of us. Do not trust me. There is no doubt that I can be wrong about something. I have been wrong many times, and I will be wrong again. My wife, my children could give you a long list of things where I have been wrong. Did you know that you could be wrong too? Wouldn't it be better to enter into a conversation with a healthy amount of self-suspicion? Neither of us is omniscient. I will state my opinions and you will share yours. 
it would bl- bless both of us if we did not strap our opposing views to a grenade and launch them at each other. Number three, trust neither of us. Number four, no public arguments. I will not engage you in a public argument. I won't. Can't be drawn into it, I, I, I hope. And there are three reasons for this. One, it's unnecessary for secondary issues. And most all the issues that we're talking about are secondary issues. Number two, I don't have the time. <laughs> I just don't have the time. And then number three, it does not build up the watchers, those who are watching, listening, reading, whether they are believers or scoffers or cynics or the abused. If I write a heretical piece, an article, I want you to come at me with your loving gospel guns blazing if I write a heretical piece. If I do not change, I want you to find a friend or two and approach me again, but I want you to start privately. Point number four, no public arguments. Number five, allow freedom. Why can't it be okay to let a person have the freedom to live their Christ life the way they choose? Are secondary matters that vital to you or to me? If you need to share your view, will you do it kindly with grace, allowing for both perspectives? Perhaps before you sound off on a matter, you could talk to your pastor, talk to some other trusted biblicist to gain their perspective. Taking the time to ask someone about it might be just enough to remind you that it's not that essential to comment. Sometimes I'm actually flummoxed by why people even comment on Facebook anyway. I don't know why people have to talk. I, I don't like in those contexts. It, it flummoxes me. I, it, it's, it, it's weird. It's just weird. And we have relationships that we can build with, but why people spend so much time there and then feel compelled to have to communicate when it really doesn't amount to hardly anything. It's just more noise, but uh, that's probably mostly me, and I could very well be in a minority. The title of the article is, The Internet is the New Frontier for Angry People to Hang Out. I was giving you six tips to consider uh, if you do feel compelled to speak or to comment on platforms or websites. Number one, you are my brother. Number two, ask questions first. Number three, trust neither of us. Number four, no public arguments. Number five, allow freedom. And then finally, number six, read the context. If you have a different opinion and want to share it, make sure you understand the context before you disagree with the person. A person will often read a blurb from an article and then miss the context. The the most humorous ones are, I haven't read this yet, but here's my opinion. Uh, It's like, oh man, seriously. Uh, They sound off. Inevitably, they're hijacking the author's point. They're creating an issue that did not exist because they did not take the time to clarify the context, or they just wanted to map their experience over what they read, which happens probably more than anything else. People will read something, they will upload their experience to it because they caught a couple of buzzwords that really resonates with their experience, and then they plop their experience over it, and now the point is just taken off and gone into a, a completely different uh, direction. 
my rule of thumb is is that if you're too lazy or you're too busy to pick up on the context, then I'm not going to permit you to take up my time for me to explain to you what the context already lays out for you. Point number six, read the context. Let me wrap up by asking you a few questions that I trust will help you in this idea about anger and the Internet age. Uh, number one, are you a ready fire aim person when reacting to what you see on the internet? Or are you more thoughtful, possessing self-control and patience? If you don't know the answer to that question, perhaps your last 10 comments on your favorite social media platform will answer the question for you, which leads to question number two. What do the last 10 comments that you have made on your favorite social media platform reveal about your heart? Remember what James says, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Number three, are you a lazy commenter? You read a blurb and comment, not understanding the context. Do you know how foolish it is to consume another person's time because you would not take the time to research, to study, to pray, and think about the matter. Number three, are you a lazy commenter? Number four, how much time do you spend on the internet? How much time do you spend in prayer? Will you share those two time allotments with a friend and ask their opinion on your stewardship practices? Number five, if you are an impulsive commenter, will you wait 30 minutes before you type out what you want to say the next time you sense the temptation to say something? And then finally, number six, have you considered a social media fast? How do you think it would bless your soul? How do you think it would bless your relationships? If you spend more time on the internet than you should, what type of redemptive efforts could you make? Could you put in place of that so that you can bless others. The internet is the new frontier for angry people to hang out. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Read the article if you desire. There's a video there too. God bless. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.